We represent our country with absolute zeal and pride in what we do. So we never want to let the public down at all. Clearly, we were one goal short. Hi, it's Holly Ransom here. Welcome one and all to Coffee Pods, Fuel Your Difference, a podcast for the change makers and the game changers. This podcast is built around a simple hypothesis. How long does it take to learn from someone's lifetime of experience? Coffee. So in the time it takes us to share a cup of coffee with our guests or for you to enjoy one as you listen along, we're going to tap into the lifetime of experience of some truly remarkable people who've driven significant change. I'm a big believer that success leaves clues. And be it putting an audacious idea into action, shifting a team culture, or even a country's for that matter, or using their influence to drive progress, all our guests have powerful insights, pragmatic tips, and passionate calls to action that can help each of us to fuel the positive difference we're all working to create in our lives, organisations, and communities. Coffee Potters, I'm really excited to introduce you to today's guest, someone I'm personally an enormous fan of. We've got a sporting coffee pod for you today, and our guest is Lisa Alexander, the head coach of the Australian Diamonds. Now, Lisa's taken the Diamonds to Commonwealth Games Championships, World Championships. The trophy cabinet is chock-a-block. And she's got a reputation for her professionalism, drive, and innovative approach to coaching, so much so that in 2015, she was awarded the Australian Coach of the Year title. Lisa is a much sought after thought leader in what it takes to create and to sustain a culture of high performance. And that's what we're going to delve into in this podcast. What does it take to make an extraordinary team culture? How is it that you deal with setback and the weight and pressure of expectation? How do you give feedback that allows someone to transform their performance? That and so much more. I love this conversation and I hope you do too. Here's Lisa. Well, Lisa Alexander, I'm thrilled to have you on Coffee Pods. I've been so looking forward to meeting you, let alone to this conversation. So thank you so much for making the time. I wanted to kick off. Um, we've we've just had a, a chat before we came in here and started, and you, you talked about how it all began really for you through teaching. There's a passion for sport, but there's a, a pathway into coaching via teaching. Can you tell us about how, how your career started out? Yeah, I first of all, I think I was teaching when I was – in grade three, <laughs> and I was pretending to be the teacher and writing out report cards for all my dolls. Love it. And that's probably when I first started my love of being at school. Um, I was a bit of a nerd at school, really, well behaved. Only did a couple of naughty things, I think, at different times. But generally speaking, you'd say I was a bit of a teacher's pet. But I just loved it. I love learning. I love writing. Um, love challenging my thoughts, but I also love sport at the same time. So if, you know, at any any moment I'd be outside as well. I was also in many school plays at Cheltenham High as well, which people probably don't know. There you go. I can tell you the diamonds know now because <laughs> they know that one of the things that I do at camps to really put them to make them uncomfortable is to push them into the performance space. Right. So I always love them doing little plays or skits or movies and Actually, very memorable moments for all of our athletes are, are some of those times when they've done those little skits together, and and I won't share, I won't share any of the the ins and outs of them, but they've been really really funny and a lot of fun at the time, but also had that serious side of high performance to them, which is to ensure that you know I put them out of their comfort zone and they have to work together as a team. And, you know, really improve on those relationships and dynamics that I think are really important in high performance sports. So 
it's a little bit of a secret of the diamond success is about performing. So that was, you know, good old child high. It was, you know, it was a, a highly academic school as well. We had very high expectations around study and um, doing well. But later on, when I finished towards the end of my schooling, I think my teachers saw that potential of me in science. So I was in the math science area. I chose my year 12 subjects specifically for medicine. So I did biology, chemistry, physics. Um, I think it was general maths at the time and English. And am I right that you started studying medicine? Yes, I got into medicine at Monash University and that was a real shock to the system. The fact that I was one of only 15 from government high schools was very confronting at the time. I remember thinking, wow, um, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So you look outside and then there were many um, sons and daughters of doctors and I didn't have a doctor in the family at all. You know, mainly in our family, if there was anyone that was university educated, it was a teacher or a principal of a school. My uncle, my great uncle was principal of a school. So this was very unusual for me. Um, And it was confronting. Um, There's no other way to say it. So I had to set about, you know, getting to know people from a different class. So that's when the word, and we don't talk about class very much in Australia because it's, it's almost seen to be a dirty word, I think. But it is there and it's probably the elephant in the room in many respects in our society today. Now, one of the things, uh, you published a really powerful piece um, recently on Player's Voice about your own career journey and the fact that medicine ended up not being a completed degree because you had the arrival of of your daughter, your first child. And that led to life taking on a totally different path to probably the one that you might have anticipated, you know, when you'd started university at Monash. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, it was um, it was probably a little bit of a whirlwind. I finished year twelve, and as most students do, they go through that kind of really hard spot of what's going to happen next. And I happened to land a part time job at Myers, and that was the big deal in those days. If you could snag a part time job at Myers, especially in the city, you really had made it. And I did that. I made it. I did a lot of training there, and I really appreciated that time. And then I. Fortunately, got moved down to Southland, which was near my home in Cheltenham. Um, but, you know, I was, yeah, having a, a few days when I was very, very ill and I didn't understand why. And you, your own body, it's a, it's, a, it's a great lesson for everybody is, you know, knowing your own body and, and listening to your body and knowing what's going on is extremely important for athletes, particularly today. So, you know, I... I didn't realise I was pregnant at the time. The first time you're pregnant, you sometimes just don't know. So, you know, if you haven't been pregnant before, it's pretty hard to tell. And I just, you know, kept on with my what I was doing. I was probably putting on a little bit of weight, but I was still pretty active. And as as I've said in my um, in the recent article that, you know, I was trialling for the Victorian 21s team in, I think it was early in March. And, um, you know, had great hopes to make that team and, perform at nationals. So that was my first foray in there. And of course, when I found out I was pregnant, it put a bit of a a dampener Mm. on that. So yes, I had to stop. And look, I have to say the Dean was extremely supportive of me at the time. It was pretty devastating at that time. It was 1982 and our society hadn't quite come to grips with the fact that, you know, unmarried mothers were 
um, not going to be judged. And I think they're still judged today, um, particularly if you're from a certain class in our society, which is unfortunate, but that's just the way it is. It doesn't matter. You're conditioned to feel a certain way and your environment will impact on you. And so as a young person at that time, I obviously sought my family's counsel. Mm. And, you know, we obviously had many decisions to make because my parents were pretty devastated because here their youngest child had just made it into a very prestigious university and degree. And all of a sudden something like this happens and they, you know, their world is a little bit uh, unsettled by that as well. Um, And, you know, my sister and my brother had their own issues at the time with, you know, as what families don't have their ups and downs. No kidding. So, Uh, In the end, we decided to discontinue the studies. So that was the easiest way to ensure that I could come back the following year. And they were, look, the medical faculty were extremely supportive of that and were wanting me to come back the following year after I'd had Carly. And Carly arrived in August and it was a, I can remember it distinctly, it was a really hot day in winter, August the 26th. And I can remember our backyard was dry and we were going through a drought in Australia at that time. The backyard was sandy. I lived in Cheltenham, so we had sandy soil. There was not a lot of grass out there. And that's what I remember about that time. And Carly was a little bit delayed because she loves, she loved being in, in uterine. <laughs> and, and so she came out a little bit late. And Look, I have to say there are a couple of really key people that helped me at that time, and one of them was the registrar at the time, the obstetrician registrar, registrar, Dr Edwards, and if he was listening to this podcast, thank you, because he was a man that helped a young girl feel comfortable Mm. um, because I can tell you the nurses at, at the Sandringham Hospital didn't at the time. I was judged. I was judged as a bit of, you know looked down upon at the time. However, he was wonderful and he helped me get through that time. And then my maternal child health nurse was the other person that just really saved me at that time because she was so wonderful, so encouraging of me going back to university, found me a place at the ACTU uh, childcare centre in Cheltenham East at that time. I couldn't have asked for two people to be more supportive at a time that's very critical in a young mum's life. One of the things that struck me about the article was you spoke about the role that netball played in Mm. in making you feel welcome and accepted, that you were playing netball sort of right the way through that period. Those women were just so accepting and welcoming and encouraging. And also you were talking to me earlier about the role that Joyce Brown has played in in that piece around juggling motherhood and, and work and everything in between. Tell us about netball's role through this period. Yeah, look, netball was the thing that, you know, was the constant. It kept me going. Um, The women that asked me to go and play, I'd never even heard of the married ladies competition, but it happens every Tuesday or every Wednesday. And at the time, the women were connected with the East Doncaster Club, the ones that, you know, that really said, come along and play with us and, you know, get yourself back in. This was after I'd had Carly and get yourself fit, bring her along because all the mothers bring their babies and it was fantastic and that that's netball to me. That's, that's it working in the way that it has always worked and should work for our wonderful, you know, our women and girls in our community. It was expected that you would 
do your turn at umpiring, you would mm. do your turn at coaching and helping the club mm. because that's the way we made the netball clubs work in those days. And, you know, you still see that today, particularly in country areas where I was fortunate to be a part of the Lee and Gatha community. And Joyce, oh, look, Joyce showed me that it was just capable. Um, I remember going away with her as the apprentice coach in 1994 and I was very lucky to be asked and she'd also put me through my paces in the high performance course at the time as well. So she must have thought there was a bit of coaching talent there. So she took me away. And did you know that about yourself at that point in time or did Joyce help you identify that? I think Joyce probably encouraged me. I think she saw the fact that I was a teacher being a great advantage because she was a teacher as well Um, and also the fact that I'd had the playing background as well as an elite athlete. That was a big assister to me in that course and clearly she could see that from being the person that took the course in those days. So not only was she the Australian coach but she was the coaching director as well. I better not tell our current coaching director that. (laughs) It's all right, Julia, you can keep your job. Divide and conquer. (laughs) But, you know, Joyce took us through our paces. And so I was lucky to be accepted in as the apprentice coach. So I spent the whole year basically shadowing her with the Australian team. It was an enormous experience for Mm -hmm. me. And that's probably where I thought to myself, oh, I wouldn't mind doing this one day. And I spent, I think it was five hours with Joyce travelling by car from Auckland down to Taranga. Wow. And I got that, I got the lessons and the wisdom of a person that was just amazing. All of those stories about how she managed her four children as well as coaching. And she just said to me, Lisa, I've had to have a nanny. And, you know, that's the only way I could do it because Colin was fully involved with his business, his excavations business. and. You know, that's the only way I got to do, um, to coach the Australian team, her first team, which was in 1975 when they won the World Championships in New Zealand. Joyce was only a young coach at that time. She was actually nearly the same age as many of the athletes that she coached, Norma Plummer, um, Chris Burton, also Betty Carroll, great names of Australian netball on those asphalt courts. And she was the one that said, well, if you want to do it, do it because, you know, you've got a lot to offer and there's no reason why you as a woman can't do this. I love that. Just be organised. Backed you in. Yeah. And you mentioned that she put you through your high performance paces. What was was some of the the 101 kind of building blocks that you learned in those early days about what it takes to to coach a high performance team? Well, you've got to think on your feet and that's the thing. Um, Being able to think in the moment and come up with something is better than just freezing, I guess. And Joyce really put us through our paces because she would put us on the spot. She'd set up a scenario and then she'd say to, Lee, she'd say to me, coach it. And I'd go, okay. And I just jumped in. Um, I think because I just absolutely love the strategy and tactics of what I would do with that particular scenario, I just jumped in and did it. And I think that's probably been a great strength of mine right from the start is even as a player, I really thought about things on court. And I know when I was coached by Norma Plummer, um, I really loved that side of, of how she coached, very tactically oriented. Um, she would ask you to play a role. I certainly would love doing that for her. And she's very inspirational in that way. You, now, you've talked about that kind of grounding. You had an incredible apprenticeship. How were you challenged or stretched when you stepped into the head coach role? Well, you get stretched because it's up to you. And I guess 
I've been very fortunate to have practice of it being up to me since basically, well, since I had Carly when I was 18, really. And if I reflect on it right now, which I just have, literally, Holly, thank you, it is up to me. Um, You know, when you're a mum, that's it. You're the mum and it's your baby 24-7. And I think that's what you learn when, you know, you become a mum and that probably helped me to be a coach and a head coach very quickly and, and, you know, grow up. And so when I had my first head coaching position in 1989, I think it was, with the under-16 schoolgirls Victorian team, I was very comfortable to take the reins mm-hmm. and to be in charge. And you've got to be comfortable with that. It doesn't mean that you're always authoritarian. Of course, m- many of those styles of coaching have changed. I think that's where it comes from. I just really relished and enjoyed the responsibility that there is. It's not just about the title. It's actually you have to enjoy the responsibility of leadership because mm. at the end of the day, it is up to you. And, you know, that's why I feel great responsibility towards everyone in Australia when I'm coaching the Australian team because it's your team, Holly. Mm. You know, I'm coaching your team. I feel a great sense of responsibility to you to ensure I give my absolute best in a coaching sense whenever I coach the Diamonds. Mm. I'm interested to know from your perspective, I think, you know, you work in a high-performance team dynamic all the time. For the leaders out there listening who are dealing with their own team dynamic, what's your best bit of advice around how how to get the most out of a, a group that get flung together based on individual capability to some degree, the, the fit and the element of how they can work as a cohesive lot. But how do you, how do you best design that to deliver a, an outcome? Oh, look, I think you, you just try and remember that people at the end of the day are people first. They're not their role. And I think that's what I've tried to do with athletes as well. I've always tried to get to know them as people in the beginning And that tends to help me understand them and then to know what their strengths and weaknesses are as such and know the things that I think I can talk to them about to help them to understand what I need from them in that team. So I guess that's what I've always applied to teams as well that I've coached, but it also applies to the staff that I work with. And look, I try and have fun with my staff because high performance is bloody hard work. Oh, yeah. It's constant, so you've got to have that light relief. If you don't have it, then it just becomes a chore and a grind. I'm not saying it has to be fun because I'm really over that at the moment. I have to say that it's fun when you win. (laughs) It's not fun when you lose. And so fun can be delayed if, if the work gets done. And that's where I am a little bit with my staff too. So we'll do the hard work, but we will make sure we take time to connect with each other, to have social time, to relax and to know each other more intimately without going overboard in that that area because, of course, there are professional standards around how we relate to each other and I think the professional line needs to be discussed mm-hmm. in, a, in a group and we actually discussed that, I think it was um, last year at our camp, we when the issue came up around um, the sexual harassment Um, cases in the AFL came up, we had the conversation in our team about, well, you know, what would happen if you, doctor, were having an affair with you, soft soft tissue therapist? How would we handle that? And that's how we go about it. We have genuine conversations. We work with our leading teams model 
which is, um, you know, we could try and keep things simple in terms of our roles and clarity, but always putting the team first in our role as the diamond support staff Um, and understanding that the coaching staff have to perform on the day as well. So, you know, there's a little bit of leeway given to the coaches sometimes, a little bit of, you know, stroking of egos at different times to ensure that those coaches perform at their absolute best on the day as well because coaching is a performance absolutely on match day. One of the things I wanted to ask you about for years is the sustained success piece because I think that's it's one thing to be able to win one world championship. It's another thing to string together the extraordinary level of success the Diamonds have had for a prolonged period. What, what does it take to create that culture of success? Well, it, it requires constant attention. In fact, even just today when we're talking about I've got to speak to the board this Saturday about our review we've just gone through, which has been very comprehensive. I'd call it probably a 360, no, I'd call it a 720 review almost. We've been around the, we've been around the circle a few times and we've been very deep in our reviewing too. We've done some interviews. We've asked people to write more in-depth stories um, probably for the first time. Many of them didn't like doing it. Uh, we steered cleared clear of numbers this time. Now that's a bit, um, yeah, that's a bit of a, an interesting diversion for me being a maths teacher and I do like my numbers, but I, we wanted more in-depth information. We wanted the real uh, nuggets of, um, I guess, illumination for us that would tell us more about what actually went on um, to create the result that we didn't want to have, which was to win a silver. Although having said that, a silver medal is still an amazing achievement and I never want to take away from the fact that those players gave it their all on that court, as did the coaching staff, as did our whole staff. And, you know, the the staff were as devastated as the athletes. The athletes are the ones, though, that are on the court performing. So for them, it's been a very hard road to deal with afterwards. However, we have to have perspective. Um, We didn't, you know, we didn't have anyone die or become sick or ill. So it is sport, but it is still very important to us. And we represent our country with absolute zeal and pride in what we do. So we never want to let the public down at all. So part of that is the constancy of, of you know, you have, to, you have to lift up each time. You've got to literally pick yourself up and go on. Mm. Um, I have to lead. I have to, I can't just dig a hole and jump in there, even though I probably wanted to on the day. We were in shock. And the process of that sustained success actually starts right then. As soon as that whistle went at the end, we had to actually click back into, okay, this is the result. Now we've got feedback. We've been told where we sit. Clearly, we were one goal short. Mm. regardless of all the excuses, people didn't play well on the day, I rotated the bench, all of those factors, and there are multiple factors. The reality is reality and that's your feedback. So now what we have to work out is what areas can we prioritise and improve and that's what it's always about. And I think we needed to get back to the fact that maybe we went away from the vision of being the world's best high performance program. Maybe we thought about the gold medal too much and we thought we were there before we got there. 
It's interesting because there are two questions I wanted to ask you listening to that answer. One was how do you deal with the weight of that expectation? You know, because one of the things that success creates is the expectation of more success. And I bet you feel that on your shoulders. I, certainly, as you said, the girls on court feel it too. They do, but we embrace it. I think that's what is a part of the secret of that sustaining success is that we do feel our own internal pressure of continuously improving. And if we do that, then we're actually paying tribute to the past, which is a past of sustained success as well. Even though the landscape of today has changed so much, it's much more competitive now in the international era. You know, we've got England coming up so and, you know, rightly winning their gold medal and deserving it. And I remember saying afterwards, and there were a few people suggesting that I might have had sour grapes about it, but I certainly didn't. I I was amazed at Tracy's performance as a coach that such a young person had been able to put together such a complex beast. It is high performance. And she did it without having her athletes with her. You know, they're in Australia competing. So it was an enormous achievement for her to do what she's done. And she's learnt a lot from us, obviously, and from myself too, hopefully. Um, so I pay enormous tribute to her and the coaching performance. It was superb. The other thing you touched on is feedback. And I know as a teacher, um, but also as a student of language, as you've touched on with me earlier, um, you're very particular about feedback. I think that's one of the things that I notice organisations more broadly struggling with, how to have the tough conversation, how to how to give the, the feedback when things perhaps haven't gone the way that you might like. Really easy to get excited and celebrate when it goes the way you want. Uh, any tips for giving feedback that leads to improvement. Think of yourself as a mathematics teacher at a private school. That's actually the most challenging feedback you give. Uh, It's tough. Can I tell you the expectations of me as a diamonds coach are nowhere near as high as what they are of teachers at private schools. Jeez, wow. Okay. Um, So that's what I can say and that's where I learnt very quickly and early on, and even in, you know, my other schools, I was very much about, because I think I was a parent myself, I felt parents deserved to know what was going on with their son and daughter at school. And the earlier, the better, because then the partnership could start. You know, there was no, there was no point not telling parents when someone's struggling, even if they didn't care, at least I showed that I cared. The earlier, the better to tell someone something that they need to know, particularly if it is constructive feedback. And I say, and I agree with Ray McLean on this, feedback can be negative or positive. And actually, you should tell the parents of the kids that are doing really well too, instead of leaving them, because the more positives, the better, I think. So telling them early that a student's struggling is the best way, because then you get the partnership going. You also give a little prick and a prod to the student because they need to know that you will ring their parents straight away. (laughs) Keep them accountable. Keep them accountable because, you know, their parents are paying a lot of money for their education and they deserve to know that, you know, that transaction between the school and, and the student and the parent is heading in a positive direction. And I never had any complaints from people knowing, even though they might have been very concerned, they were never negative about me telling them about that. So that's my advice. If you think you need to tell someone something about some some feedback, you may need to practice it first with somebody. And I certainly practice my feedback to my Australian Diamond athletes now, still today, 
even though I've practiced it for seven years, I will still go through how I'm going to deliver messages in the best way for that athlete, most supportive way, but also being honest is what they want to hear. I'm really interested to get a sense of the best bit of advice that you've been given over the course of your career that's either helped you personally navigate it or in the leadership situations you've found yourself in allowed you to to navigate things effectively? Uh, Probably from Bill Sweetnam, actually, who's been also my mentor that I haven't mentioned yet. Um, He's my outside netball mentor, but he's my high-performance mentor, actually. He was probably one of Australian swimming's best ever swimming coaches, uh, managed to get a medalist in every Olympics, I think, up until the most recent one for over 30 years, even though not necessarily with Australian teams, sometimes with international teams. So he worked very, very closely with the Australian swimming team back in the 80s. Um, He also coached Tracy Wickham and Stephen Hollands. People may not know those athletes, but he certainly worked and they were great athletes at the time, swimming swimmers. Um, He is the one that I've turned to as my mentor when I first took over the Australian Diamonds job and actually when I was in my uh, preparations for the national coaching role, I was offered um, what I felt was important for me to develop my leadership after I did the leadership the courses and also the preparation for the national coaching role from the AIS. And I said, can I work with Bill? Because I've seen him in a number of different settings and I really, really love what he has to say. So he's a, he's a you don't leave any stone unturned. You, you put everything into your preparation. And so that's what I seek to do. And that's what I did when I was going for the Australian job back in 2011, I tried not to let any stone unturned so there would be no excuses at the end of that process that I hadn't given everything to trying to secure the position. And if I'd missed out, I could feel comfortable that I'd done everything. And that's what I continue today. And the other key piece of information he always gave me was you choose the people to work with you who are best and good both. Mm. They must be both. And, you know, that's the same with the athletes. People ask me, oh, don't you go for talent or do you go for attitude? I said, the diamonds have to have both. They can't, they wouldn't even get to square one without both. They have to have a brilliant attitude and they have to be brilliant at what they do. And they have to be prepared to keep learning and growing. And Bill always says, grow ahead of your age. (laughs) I love that. One of the things I, I wanted to, to give you the opportunity to talk about, because one of the things I've admired about you for a really long time is the incredibly strong voice that you are, not just in the Australian sporting sector, but um, more broadly for, for women in Australian society. And you mentioned before that the constancy of netball was this sense of community um, and how important that was and that, that that's been the case the entire time of your involvement. But you've also been uh, at the ground zero, really, or right the way throughout the transformation of a sport. It is incredible to watch what netball has done over the period you've been involved, to see the numbers turning out, the, you know, week in, week out to the Suncorp Championships, to see the incredible status that the Diamonds are held in, the regard that young athletes and the Australian community full stop have for them. It's remarkable. I'd love to get your take on where, where the sport or women in sport has come and where it needs to go. Oh, well, thank you very much, Holly. That's 
really wonderful to hear. It's heartwarming to hear that from you as a young person who's been a netballer to know that that's helped inspire you to be who you are today. So it's what makes me incredibly proud of you as well because you know I'm a bit of a fan of yours too. Which Can't you believe that. Which you didn't know but, you know, I take a lot of notice of, of women out there doing what they need to do to improve the status of women in many walks of life. So I'm always a baraka for that um, because I know it's a tough road and we need to support each other. And that's where I'm heading to with this is I believe that, yes, 2015 was a watershed year for women in sport and particularly for the Diamonds when we won the world title on home, home soil in Sydney in front of our adoring fans who, you know, I can still get goosebumps at that moment and Actually, we showed it yesterday, I think, at the women's lunch I was at. and Awesome. It's so, and, you know, everyone knows it um, and everyone feels it. And I go into the room and whenever I'm speaking to a group, I always say it's your team. Like I can go into Hawthorne Football Club and I can go into Carlton Football Club and I can say to them, well, you know, the Diamonds are your team. So you should be interested in what we're doing because we're your team. I, I coach them for you no matter whether you're a man or a woman uh, or a, a boy or a girl, they're your team and, you know, hopefully we're doing the best we can and we do make you proud. And, you know, from what you're saying, Holly, I think it has grown over time. Absolutely. And part of my remit as a national coach was to lift the brand of the Diamond. So I was set about not only obviously improving the high performance outcomes of the Diamonds but also their, I guess, saleability with Australia. And I didn't see that there was any better necessarily sporting product than the Australian Diamonds as a product. And I don't really like that word because I'm a holistic person and I'm very grounded in humans and human beings. However, I saw the Diamonds as being wonderful role models. I've never shied away from that. I've actually disagreed with Chris Judd on that. Yes. It's something, there's a couple of things I actually disagree with Chris about, but I understand Chris's stance and I applaud him for having the courage to put forward his views on things. And that's what I want to. I want people to be able to feel that they can put their views out there. That's what our, our, um, our fathers and our mothers in the past fought for at World War II. That's, you know, to have the right to have our say in our democracy. So I'm passionate about that. I'm with the High Court judges on that. And it's great that we've now got a leading High Court judge that's a woman. Isn't it? Justice Keefel, fantastic. I've, and I've read, read all her biography and I'm obsessed with her too, as I am with the Australian of the Year too. Oh, yeah. So, Two incredible stories. Absolutely. And um, that's what I want. I want a world where we can grow up and say, and Holly, you can say, right, I want to be an AFL coach. I don't mind if it's of the men's competition or the women's competition. I can do either. I can be an astronaut if I want to be. I can be the head of the space agency in Australia. I can be the prime minister. I can be the governor general. Everyone should have, and we should not restrict the talent that we have in Australia. We've got fantastic talent. That's why I get so excited watching you do what you do. And, you know, all of the young people out there that are doing what they're doing, and they're doing it with great passion, but also great pride in their country. And reaching out to the global world because this is not just about Australia. I reach people and netballers in Malawi. Mm. They know me. 
they know the Australian Diamonds coach. I went to Namibia in 2015. You're a big hit in India. In Delhi, in South Delhi. You know, I love that group. And those coaches over there that coach those young women in that disadvantaged society where they are so poor, they're just, they're, they're my, the people that I look up to. They're coaching, they're working at their trade. And they could come out here and they could coach in our Suncorp Super Netball League. That they, They're full-time coaches. They're doing a fabulous job. And that's the world that I want to see for women and girls in sport. Oh, I love that. I could spend hours talking to you. Honestly, I can't tell you how much of a privilege it is to, to get to pick into your coaching brain and hear your passion, but also the journey of how you came to where you are. Um, I, I really appreciate the generosity with which you've shared from your own personal experience. Thank you for that. It's a bit embarrassing sometimes to admit I thought I had a tumour in my uterus, <laughs> but it's actually serious as well. Like yeah. I, I don't ever want to not take that seriously because it could have been. And, you know, I know women that have unfortunately, you know, had to deal with ovarian cancer and um, uterine cancer and all of those things that have, you know, touched their lives and you know, I really feel for them. Having lost my mum also to cancer, it's mm. it's one of the, you know, greatest things that we need to work on and we need our scientists, we need our female and male scientists working on that. Now I've got one final question for you. Um, we've got a, a very active group of Coffee Pod listeners. They're, they're people that are, are shaking the world up for the better in their communities, yes. in their organisations, you name it. I love that. If you could leave them with a call to action, what would you encourage them to do? Watch more women's sport on TV, click on it, Make them understand that is the mostly men in the boardrooms at the moment, unfortunately, but if we don't get a little bit more militant about this and actually just stand up and take some uh, more responsibility ourselves for causing and forcing this change, they need to understand that women will watch women playing sport as well as more men will watch it if it's on TV at the right times. Thank you. That's my call to action. I love that. And very accessible. Every weekend uh, we can make that choice. We can choose to, to, to well, buy a ticket. We can choose to flip yeah. the channel over. We can choose to be actively participating and parting with good money to see great quality sport. You can. And you can also, you know, click on all of the stories that are share. Um, yep. women's sports stories and share them and say, have you had a read of this? It, actually, netball's world class, um, you know. Some of the AFL games, hmm. Anyway, um, I don't want to run the AFL down because the AFL is very important to me too and has been for many years, but I just want to be a part of that, please, Mr McLaughlin. I was going to say, isn't there an aspiration to be a head coach one day? I would love that opportunity one day when, you know, the the planets all align and I've completed all my level four coaching qualifications, which I'll have to speak to David Rath about. There you go. That'll put the cat amongst the pigeons. It definitely would. You've heard it here. <laughs> the flag has been put in the sand. I look forward to watching that with interest. Thanks for listening. I hope you feel inspired and have some practical ideas for how you can go and fuel the difference you want to see in your life, organisation or community. If that's a yes, please take a moment to send us feedback, shoot me a tweet at Holly Ransom, leave a review for this coffee pod, or head to www.coffeepodswithholly.com and send in your questions and suggestions for future coffee pods. But for now, until our next coffee break, I've been Holly Ransom. Thanks for fueling your difference with me.